Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Tend Her Wild podcast listeners, Kate and I are thrilled today to have a very special guest all the way from California speaking with us today, Susie Lula. I met her for something we connected on several months ago. And from the moment I met her, there was a just a beautiful, deep connection. You meet certain people and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to know this person. And I felt this was Susie. She really is one of the premier wisdom teachers in the field of spiritual psychology. And she's got a beautiful book called The Motherhood Evolution, How Thriving Mothers Raise Thriving Children. We cannot wait to dive into this book today. She also is the founder of the Spiritual Psychology Academy, a soul care coaching certification for mental health professionals, coaches, educators, mothers, and anyone seeking deep healing in their lives. She leads Luminous, which I'm actually a member of. It's an online holistic community for women with Dr. Shafali Tisbari, who we've talked about her book many times on this podcast. And Susie is also a beloved speaker at the Agape International Spiritual Center under the direction of Michael Bernard Beckwith, who's a well-known teacher that I followed for many years as well. I didn't know this about you, Susie, but you're also a pianist and a composer, uh, and she's married and has a son, Will. And we are so thrilled to get this chance to dive into some good, deep, juicy conversation with you today, Susie. So welcome. Welcome. Thank you both for having me. I can't wait to dive in with both of you. And let's just start with the title of your podcast, (laughs) End Her Wild. Like, let's just start right there. So I just know what we're getting ready to embark upon is going to be juicy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We, We both feel that every time we have these conversations, this desire to just keep getting closer to the bone, closer to, you know, the essence of who we all are. So, so Susie, we love to start with our guests and asking that you share with us your first 10 years. We have learned that experiences, whatever you're willing to share and things that really shape us happen in those first 10 years. And so that's where we'd like to start off if that's okay. And whatever you, whatever comes up for you is kind of important moments or experiences. Mm, I love that question. Mm. So, wow, my first 10 years, I would say the first thing when you um, asked, the first thing that, you know, popped in was I think inside of me, there's always been this like bright eyed, like little girl in there. I'm hungry for life. And I kind of think that I always have been really hungry to eat it all up. And um, so I'm a very, you know, enthusiastic, joyful person. And um, my first 10 years, there was a lot of my perception. I felt very alone Mm. and um, dark. I can remember times of just feeling like I'm in my home and it's dark and I'm thinking someone else must be home with me because I'm a little girl, but I just felt very alone, very dark. I was always my mom is amazing, but she's very practical and rational. And I'm very like touchy feely. And so I always felt there was this disconnect and I was always sort of longing for her approval and longing for her emotional connection and feeling like, you know, nothing I ever did was like quite getting it, you know? Right. So I think those first 10 years, um, I think it created sort of this inner, um, you know, this feeling of, of, never quite being good enough. And my family was rather dysfunctional. And um, what I remember, though, is always feeling like in the midst of that darkness, 
there's just this little flicker of light. Like I always wanted my family to go to therapy and it's just like, follow the little flicker, follow the little flicker. And it, it wasn't right. Let me just start there, you know, but I, I do always remember that. And, um, I kind of feel like weirdly that you're asking me this, but I kind of feel like that's been a thread of my life is like assisting people. Like if you're feeling dark, if you're feeling disconnected, if you're going through a challenge, if you're going through whatever you're going through, like there is that flicker of light that's inherent within you that if we can just fan that flame, yeah, it, you know, becomes brighter and brighter. So, yeah. It's so interesting. You said the thread, because honestly we ask, and we don't even know why we first started to ask this, just how we started the podcast, asking that question and every single guest we find we, somehow we get to that. There's a thread. There is a thread from those first 10 years that seems to move through a, a person's life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking at you on screen right now because we're on Zoom and you're so bright, just your energy, your face, your eyes. And I love that you knew as a little kid, like that there was this right. bright, vibrant light in you in the midst of chaos and darkness and challenge. And so I agree. I'm sure many of the reasons you're here is to help foster that. And that's clearly what you're doing in your world with so many people. And the mm-hmm. fact that Luminous is your yeah. <laughs> community online, right? It's all about light. Yeah. And, and don't you feel that I know that we all have that we're born with that light. And I think that's what happens is that it just in different ways through different situations and circumstances, often it just gets covered and covered. And I just think I was a fighter to, Mm. you know, save the light. (laughs) But I do believe what you're saying is accurate. I do believe that my own darkness and my own challenge to reconnect with my own light. I do believe that that journey is what gives me an enormous, I just feel such an enormous amount of compassion for every client and student and woman and mother that I work with, you know, just compassion that like bursts out of my heart, but also that idea that, okay, everyone, if I can do it, yeah, one can do it. If I can do this, everyone can do it. So I, I do see how that darkness has served me well. Yeah. And that it's a part of everyone's life. Yeah. I mean, yes. no one, no one has an experience yeah. that, I mean, we all face darkness. Well, you write on your website, everyone has a messy life. Yes. So yes. Um, to be able to express that, model that, and then help people know they're not alone, I think is extremely powerful. Exactly. Especially in a culture that an Instagram culture, you know, that this unconscious message that your life is supposed to be shiny at all times and you're supposed to be all things to all people and do it so graciously and elegantly at all times. Even if you have two kids under the age of five in diapers running around, you know, you are supposed to be elegant and Zen and blissed out and show pictures of your children smiling at the beach, you know, and, and we just, just our culture just does not have the capacity of how to be in relationship with our darkness and our messy. And, and so I'm kind of obsessed with the messy. Yeah. I think that's where all the actual beauty lives is in the messy. So the more you kind of tune into that, you actually do find all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, have written, I saw this on your website too. And it just, I was like, we, you and Kate and I've been talking about this so much. The Dalai Lama's prophecy that the world will be changed by the Western woman that has resonated with me for years. And we feel that was part of the mission of this, this podcast too, about like helping women like really step into their potential and move into who they are, because we are the ones who are here to help shift things. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear your take on it and why that idea has moved you so much. Well, thank you for highlighting that because I literally have chills right now Uh, hearing you say it and reflect it back to me from the top of my head mm. to my toe. I have chills all over my body. I believe it with every cell of my being. And I think of women and I think of women, we're still trying to find our way into being valued in society. And then I think of mothers 
are even a more invisible segment than women. So mothers are sort of a subset of women that are even floundering and have been given no light or value in our culture. So the way that I see it and why I just love what the Dalai Lama says is, you know, I'm so deeply grateful and indebted, as I think all women are, to the women who have come before us and the generations who have come before us. You know, when when you think that women couldn't even vote not very long ago, yeah. we, we didn't even get like a vote on our ballot. And women are still fighting for that in many, many, many places on planet Earth. But in our culture, when I think that it was so recently that we were even given that right. And um, then I think when women moved into the workplace, the, the doorway we saw to enter was enter that doorway like a man. Yes. We, we entered a man's world. And so we chose and thought the way to enter that man's world was as a man. Yes. And I think that I'm, we're also grateful for those women who paved the way for us. And now I think it's our responsibility to carry that torch mm-hmm. to the next level of evolution. Amen. Which, yes. Right? Yes, yes, <laughs> which yes. to me is about let us embody our feminine, feminine qualities and let us value our own feminine qualities, which feminine qualities of being not of doing, mm-hmm. not of necessarily the productivity and the powering through, but let us honor that we are relational beings and women are nurturers, not in the sense of doing things for all people, nurturing our, our just our essence, just be like the three of us right now. I, I'm in love with you guys. It's yeah. your being that I'm in love with. It's not your resume, although your resume is spectacular. It's we have just not yet stepped into the qualities of being. We're processors. We are relational. We are nurturers. It is just Mother Earth. You think of Mother Earth. You know, I don't. They call Mother Nature. You know, um, so I believe that it is our time to step into these qualities of being and join together in community with other women who are willing to say, it's not that I'm discounting my doing. It's not that I'm discounting my ability to be persistent and tenacious. It's that I'm going to step into my feminine qualities and I'm going to bring the feminine qualities into a masculinized world. I'm going to bring my feminine into the masculine world and I'm going to honor my own. And then just the last thing I'll say about mothers is that I think that mothers need this permission to do this even more. That's why I call my podcast permission to thrive, because I think that we're looking for permission. Those first few of us who are going to say, you know, we've turned motherhood into a doing treadmill. You know, it's the activities we take our kids to and what grades they make and what achievements they have and what colleges they go to and what what preschool they go to to get them ready for what college they'll go to, you know, and we have indoctrinated mothers into a very toxic masculine way of raising our children, whole different podcasts, but I could go on for hours about I want to gift mothers back the gift of their being so Mm. that they will know that being with their children is more than enough. And being with their children trumps everything. Yes. You're speaking to the choir like Kate and I keep looking I'm, at each I other. We're tears like, in my this eyes. is what we've been talking mm. about the whole time in yeah. this podcast. So thank you for summing that up so beautifully. It, you really did. I, mm. I, I recently left a very masculine role. And so mm. I've been on this journey myself Um and you are so right that the world right now needs our feminine beings. The world's problems need us to show up with creativity and compassion and collaborative, you know, behaviors. Though that's what we need in leaders. <laughs> we need more feminine qualities, and and um, we can't 
act our way out of these times. We can't, it's not about just putting our heads down anymore and doing more. It's feeling more, I think. feeling more and being more. And so modeling that for our children, you're right. That's how we change the next generation of boys, girls, our sons, our daughters. We have to model that way. Mm. Yeah, I think that there's something so profound about what you're saying, the compassion, the collaborative. You know, when I just, when you were sharing about collaborative and compassion, you know, I teach an online class. I certify coaches. And yesterday, one of the women in the course is from Serbia. And she was talking about a shooting that happened at an elementary school right across the street from her. And I I think of what you're saying, compassion, this collaborative spirit, you know, women, we hear that and it's not acceptable to us. So everything about gun laws and and gun violence would be handled differently when women with women in charge because of our capacity of the heart and because we're anchored and rooted in the heart. This would just not be acceptable and and just the compassion for all involved in that shooting, including a 13-year-old little boy, a 13-year-old boy that was the shooter. Imagine, imagine the disconnection that he was feeling, you know, so I couldn't agree with you more. And I think from, from a, a mom who is in her home right now with three little ones to someone dealing with that level of tragedy and everything in between, I think I, I wish for every woman and mother and every man listening, because I also believe that men have also been indoctrinated into the toxic part of the masculinity. And I don't think anyone is happy with the toxic part of the masculine. So I work with men who also who are like, get me out of this. So I just deep out. And I, I was reflecting on, like you said, the three of us were already meeting at this very heart level and how beautiful and how already I feel filled up just in the short amount of time we've been talking and how women are more prone to do this, to have conversations. We started this because Kate and I were were always having conversations like this, but that men don't do this type of thing, right? And that's part of that toxic masculine that they've been raised in and that, that Mm -hmm. I have so much compassion in a new way for that, that like, oh, wow, they don't sit and have these very heart centered conversations in the same way that we do. And, and we often, and I think they're longing for it. Don't you think they're longing? I I, I do. Like I know my husband is always telling me, you know, I'm, I'm longing for men friends that I can actually really talk to at a deeper level. I think we're all, we, we do this thing. My husband and I, we, we call them um, long walks and deep talks (laughs) and we hike around this five mile this loop around a park near our house. And so I just also want to say, you know, to any men who are listening, like, please engage in these conversations, you know, seek out women, seek out other men, be the, be the first, whether you're a woman, a mother, a man, be the first in your community to go, wow, I have this podcast. I want you to hear these three women are talking deep, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And we're pro men finding this too, because I think that's like us sharing our essence with the world. Like the Dalai Lama says, it's going to change things because we teach men how to do this as well. And I was thinking about us all having sons, right? Yeah. We all have sons. Opportunity we have. How old is your son, Susie? 20. 20. And I have a 17 year old and a 14 year old and you have 21 and 17. So all in that mm-hmm. range. Wow. So we have five boys between us. Five boys we're raising. Yeah. Wow. And I don't know about you all, but it's been certainly a, a passion of mine in a very conscious way around certain things in raising him. Clearly, clearly the 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 part of wanting to raise him in a healthy masculine way so that he feels good about the healthy part of his masculinity. Certainly um, the parts about sexuality and just the entitlement that he has been gifted as a white male. And certainly we've raised him. He always teases me, you know, because I've taught him um, around sexuality, you know, honey, even if a girl says yes, pretty much they probably mean no. 
Mm. because women are still, little girls are still raised even today to go, well, I want to be with that cute boy or I'm defined by if that boy likes me. And so he always teases me like, mom, I can't even like think about it. You know, I've got to get like 17 yeses. Are you sure? (laughs) Are you really, really, really sure? But are you really, really, really sure? Okay, I'll ask you next week again. And if you're really, really really sure. But anyway, um, the uh, but the thing I wanted to really say about raising him and I'm curious about you two, I really also wanted to raise him to feel good about staying connected to his sensitivity Mm. as a boy and his creativity and that whole idea of like, oh, you know, you're a wimp if you cry or don't cry, you know, you're acting like a girl. And it really was such a big value of mine to want him assist him to stay connected because I think obviously we're all sensitive beings. All, all of us are sensitive beings. And I'm curious about what, you know, was important to you all and, and how as, as boy moms, we should do another episode on boy moms. Yes. Like how that's important too. Yeah. I first have to say how lucky our boys are to have conscious mothers, but also how challenging it has to be. I I was thinking about that conversation you had with your son and I can see the eye rolls and that's what I seem to get is a lot of eye rolls. Um, But yeah, allowing them to, to feel and actually encouraging them to cry or, you know, um, but, and I can feel the resistance back, but I know it's, it's essential, right? That, um, just giving them a space to feel safe, to feel whatever they're feeling. Yeah. And I, I feel like I do a lot of planting seeds. Yes. I hope are going to show up when they need to show up. And it's, even if there's resistance, you, you're planting the seed and yes. you're giving permission. We, both our boys actually, uh, at some point in their lives, were struggling with something and we encouraged them to go talk to someone while they were still living under our roof. And I felt like that was such a gift and I'm so glad we did that because we've normalized that for them now. And I, f- yes. I feel like they'll be more apt to ask for help down the road when they need it because they've had an early experience that was positive. And I think, you know, my husband models that for them too, that he, he talks through things with, with someone and he shares that with them, that, that yes. works for him. And so all those things that you're just planting those seeds and you're leaving the door open and I'm also really big. I'm a big hugger. So I am, oh, and they've just gotten used to it and they don't fight it. And at, at I have age. one that fights it, but I still do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because I love what you're saying. You took the words out of my mouth. It's just for me, it's about planting the seeds. Yeah. It literally took the phrase out of my mouth. And I don't even, I don't even look for what's coming back for me because for sure I get the eye rolls. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh my God, if he knew right now that I just said that story, you know, in public, <laughs> it'd be more than eye rolls. I'd get a few texts, you know, but, um, and he's private and I, I certainly, you know, respect that. But I'm I'm teasing, but I love what you're saying about the planting of the seeds because I I look less at what's coming back to me in this moment and just know that, oh, I'm planting those seeds and maybe when he's 25, maybe when he's 30, maybe if he chooses to be a father and he has children, you know, I know that those seeds are taking root in the way that they're meant to be for him. Right. You know, and I think, again, that really, to me, speaks back to the power that a woman has, the power that a mother has. And I think in our culture, we have been taught to underestimate the power of the influence that we have on our children, whether you are a biological mother or not, you have tremendous power to influence those around you by your mere being, by your mere consciousness and presence. And that invisible but palpable real influence has been so underestimated and so undermined in our culture that I, it's why I just am loving this conversation. If one woman walks away today going, wow, I'm awakening to a power of influence that I have inside of me that wasn't bestowed upon me by culture, but these three chicks just, you know, Mm -hmm. awaken something in me and I'm going to leave and I'm going to step more fully into that power of being Then you know, so be it. And I feel like it leads so well into the work that I so resonate with, which is taking care of yourself Mm -hmm. because we are power and we are the center really of the family 
and our essence is in every (laughs) nook and cranny. And so it requires, and Kate and I are always saying, do your work, do your work, take care of yourself, do your work. And I want to hear you talk about this because this is a big part of your book. And I feel like your writings and the work you're doing is that it's almost like because we have so much power, we also have a deep responsibility to care for ourselves and make sure that we are showing up in our I don't know if I like the word fullest potential. I mean, I like it, but I think that, um, but we're showing up. Um, right. Well, and I yeah. love your line about <clears throat> when mothers thrive, their kids flourish. Yeah. And that you know, we talk so often, we've talked a lot about the human giver syndrome and how women tend to overgive to the point that our goal in our culture seems to be, be depleted, that that is your success, right? Yeah. When it really isn't, it's the opposite. It really isn't, and that's why I have profound compassion for mothers on a journey, and women, because women who might not have biological children, like you were saying, you you left a, a, a corporate environment. Um, well, I don't know if it was corporate, but I, I know that women who are showing up in a, in a corporate environment and, and executives, you know, they're still somehow fighting this container of like, but I, I'm doing all things for all other people, and I'm my. I am the last on my own to-do list, you know, or to-be list. So I have tremendous amount of compassion because I think that this moment in history is a tipping point for us if we seize it. Mm. And um, I really do talk a lot about taking care of ourselves first personally because I wanted my son to see me thriving. Mm. And my early years with him I was not thriving. I was in this on the same treadmill that I had seen and been taught. I was nowhere even on my own list. And it was my son when he was little that used to say to me, you know, mom, you need to smile more. You need to have more fun. And I would hear him say these things and, and they would pierce my heart as true, you know, because I was martyring myself. And I felt guilty about taking care of myself. So I have tremendous compassion for any woman who is struggling with that. Because as little girls, you know, we're all taught, be nice, be polite, give someone else the bigger piece of cake, take the smaller piece. I mean, for years, you know, my lunch was like the crust of his peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know, and God forbid, like my snacks were goldfish because back in the day I was still doing goldfish, you know, and I think back to that time I was struggling to give myself permission to put myself and yet what I wanted desperately was for my son to see me at my best, to see the joyful, shiny person who would dance with him and put on some music and, you know, or go for a bike ride. And it was a struggle for me. It was for certain a journey of giving myself the permission that I would say first, I didn't do it for myself. First, I did it for him. Mm. I first said, you know, I am not showing up as the mother that I want to be, because I always say the way that I fight this myth of it's selfish to take care of ourselves, which we have been so indoctrinated into, yes, we it have. is selfish. No one woman or mother who doesn't at some point feel guilty about freaking taking care of herself. That is, should be a law against that. Um, but the way I, the way I counter that myth is that I say that it is actually narcissistic not to take care of yourself. And what I realized by that was I was martyring myself and I was tired and I was overwhelmed. And so I need only have walked into a room and everybody could sense, I didn't even say one word, not a peep. And everybody could sense, oh, mom's in a bad mood. Mom's tired, mom's overwhelmed. Oh, I better walk on eggshells. Oh, I better not say the wrong thing. And I'm unconsciously teaching the people around me that they need to take care of my emotional Mm -hmm. life because I'm not taking care of it, right? Right. And so I haven't even said a word, but it's narcissistic to expect everybody around you to walk on eggshells because you're, or I was 
overwhelmed and exhausted. And so when you all use the word responsibility, there was a moment that I realized, A, I'm being my mom, Mm. B, B, I, I choose to take that responsibility because it's not what I want to pass on to my son. And I don't want that to be the energy of his childhood. And I had a lot of repairing to do. And I just got sober with myself. Mm. And I was, you know, taking care of myself became non-negotiable. And it is to this day, non-negotiable. And it has opened a dramatic world for me, not only of creating just a profoundly deep and connected relationship with my own son that I guarantee you would never have happened if I was still martyring myself, 100%. And I have an exquisite relationship with him. And B, now that I research other women and mothers, I realize I don't want one mother leaving here today without saying that is absolute hogwash to think that I should feel guilty about taking care of myself to then better take care of those around me. So I know it might be a challenge at first for people, but the results are dramatic. Mm -hmm. The, The relationship you can then have within yourself and with your children and all those around you spouse, when, when you are, taking care of yourself and you feel good. Like life is short. You know, we we're meant to feel good in this life. So I don't know. What is your, well, I I just had a light bulb go off when you said the idea that really is a narcissistic way to, to approach life because what ends up happening is we have codependent children then. Yeah. That move into their own relationships down the road as bartering themselves (laughs) or nurse. Yeah. 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 That they're responsible for everyone's emotions and, And it speaks to women because we don't want to be narcissists. We want to be exactly the opposite. We want to be givers. We are givers, but from a healthy place, from an overflow. And so when a woman is confronted and when I was confronted, oh, I'm actually being narcissistic by not taking care of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone is now invested in how I'm feeling instead of being free to go be themselves. Yeah. So they can't and flourish. They can't flourish. I like, no I think of it as a continuum, like, or a coin, like on one side is narcissism, like overtaking. And on the other side is overgiving. It's the same coin. It's, it's like, it's the same thing, right? Like you're either overtaking or you're overgiving and, and yeah, they're both narcissistic. So I love that you Ooh. defined that so beautifully I because I do think it gives you, I agree, there's like a big fear. It's always been a fear for me of like, oh, I don't want to be narcissistic. And, and yet like to define that and to help women see like, yeah, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're like letting every bit of your energy flow out to other people, that's narcissistic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that hits a woman because we so Mm. aren't intending to be that. Exactly. And whatever will awaken us into taking the actions that will have us feel reconnected, you know, it's such a deep issue because I think when we're pregnant, culture gives us permission to take care of ourselves. Mm. And somehow, as soon as the child is born. And of course we're sleep deprived and all the things, but something happens culturally that once the child is born, the mother is invisible and our eyes are so externally fixed and fixated that we become invisible and back, you know, we're wallpaper. And this is the opposite of what a child actually needs from us. A child or if you're not a mother and you know, you're in a work environment, what anyone around you needs is you coming in at your best. Right. Yeah. I'm also struck with, and and a lot of my work is helping women connect with themselves. So connecting Mm -hmm. with their gifts and understanding, you know, who Mm -hmm. they are returning to themselves and really understanding what it is they have to, to offer and what's authentic to them. And it, it wasn't until you just said that that I realized that the more connected we are with ourselves, the more connected we can be with others. So actually taking time and, and not just taking care of yourself from a healthy perspective, you know, your health and mental health and everything, but also connecting to yourself 
means you will connect greater with your children. Yeah, and with anyone, yeah. And and so that that thread that we have as mothers, I think sometimes the disconnection maybe we feel with our children is that we're not connected enough with ourselves. Amen. Amen. And that's why over the years I have had a tendency to now refer to self-care as soul care. Mm-hmm. Because to your point exactly, we women and mothers through this externally oriented culture that we live in. It's so externally oriented back to what we were sharing at the beginning. We live in a culture that values what school your child goes to, what grades, how many activities they're in, what are they doing? What am I doing? We value the doing, we value the achievements, the accomplishments. It were externally oriented. And so most women, and mothers are disconnected from our own self and what you're speaking of, the gifts that we have inside of us, who we are. And by so by self, often I mean soul, mm. the, the soul of us, the, the soul of who you are. Back to your original question about someone's first 10 years of life. There's an essence, there's a soul, there's a spirit that if you allow yourself to sit still for a moment, you're going to feel, oh, there's something unique about you. There's something that that you came and it's and it's your energy and it's your essence and it's your vibration and it's what lights you up. And I love that that's your work about helping women to reconnect with what are their gifts and what is real and valuable inside and to connect. And I certainly think that especially mothers are so disconnected from even having the permission. You know, most moms will say to me, oh, well, that sounds great, but I don't even have five minutes, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's rewire that inside of you. You, you don't not have five minutes right. to bring your soul to your child, yeah. you know, or forget about your child to just live out this lifetime. I always feel that our life is so short when you think about it. It's just such a blink of an eye. And I don't want to live out my life without being connected to my soul and my gifts. And I I love that, that that is your work. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting here reflecting on that, the three of us. um, And I I feel it's been a real privilege have had uh, teacher space, opportunities to really go in and start to meet the soul, meet the self. And for some people, it's like new territory. It's like new language. It's like, well, self-care, does that mean I go to the gym or I need to, you know, take time for coffee with my girlfriends? And I think all of those things are beautiful, but can you maybe give some practical ways of like, someone is hearing this conversation and it's like, yes, I know that there's a light in me. I know that there is something bigger I'm here to do in this very short life. And I'm overwhelmed by my kids and the groceries and the dishes and the laundry. And like, how the heck do I do that? What would you like, what would you tell them? Yeah. I would first say that the one thing we don't want to do is put self-care and soul care on a to-do list because often it just becomes one more thing that I haven't gotten to today that I then feel guilty. I always say mothers feel guilty when they take care of themselves. Mothers feel guilty when they don't. So true. Right. So I think the first thing to say is that this is just part of the journey of the rest of your life and to take it very slowly, take it very organically, take it in a way that is, not going to add stress to your life, but is going to add peace and calm and infuse into your life. So that's the first thing is it's really important to me how we contextualize it and the context that we put it in. Please don't put it one more thing on your to-do list. Second, I would say we can look no farther than like indigenous cultures that haven't been so consumer driven and and immersed in capitalism because indigenous cultures remember what's important. They remember that it's the connection that's important. And they too often are in survival mode. So what we want to share is that 
This is a soul reconnection that can be done while you're doing the dishes. That can be done while you're changing a diaper. Because I always say a lot of the activities of motherhood and the to-dos of motherhood and being a woman at this time in history, they're not going to necessarily change. So what we want to do is we want to know that you don't have to carve out two hours of your day to meditate and journal and all the things. You can begin to find ways. I can remember when Will was young, I just put my iPod back in the day um, in our kitchen. And I just made a vow to myself that in the mornings when I was making breakfast, I would put on music. And some, some mornings it was chant music to give a if I needed to be calm and, you know, some mornings it was pink and some mornings it was, you know, Kelly Clarkson and whatever I needed. Um, But I needed to dance while I was scrambling eggs (laughs) and making oatmeal. And so I chose to find ways and it will be different for each person. I remember when Will was young, um, I would have this fight in my mind. He would, he would paint like around four o'clock, he would paint or color or draw or, you know, build with his blocks. And that was my time to go start dinner. And I would have this conflict inside of me because I, I think a mom actually has to live two days. There's the morning all the way up till three and four (laughs) in the afternoon. And then there's a whole second yeah. day that happens from four o'clock till bedtime. That includes witching hour. That's what and it said. includes witching hour. <laughs> and so I was always aware, like, oh, my God, I'm going into day two of day one and I'm not resourced. And I knew that bedtime was not going to be good. And so I started giving myself permission to just paint with him and do blocks with him and I'm painting with him, but in my own self, I'm painting and I'm just feeling the colors on the paper. And that might might not be your thing as a mom. What I'm suggesting is that it was my way and it didn't come without a struggle because my head was saying, well, then dinner's gonna be late. And if dinner's late, then brushing your teeth is gonna be late and brushing your teeth is gonna be late. And you know, the whole story is just not gonna be fun. But I found just the opposite. I found that the more I resourced myself and the less I cared about what freaking time dinner was on the table, was it five, five, 20, five, 27. And I started letting go of all of the doing it allowed the soul of me to start birthing. It was simple things like going in my backyard and, and cutting roses and, you know, having fresh flowers in my home. And I love, I love watching a rose bloom from like when it's a tight bud all the way through the week. Like, you know, those are just the things that light me up. But I guess my point is that I want everyone to hear that these are really simple things. They'll be different from, for each person. If you can find the simple things that allow you to feel connected and reconnected to more of what really lights you up, and gives you permission for, for one mom, for, for me, it, it was often just giving myself permission to make an actual salad that day, rather than just eating the crust of a sandwich, right? And, and putting avocado on my salad or something. So it's the, some of it is quote self-care, but for me, it's the thing that's going to make me feel like I'm, I'm present in my body. I like who I am. I like to keep things really simple. It's like, I like the me that's showing up. What are the things that light me up? And it's, it's rarely needs to be, you know, a weekend away, although a weekend away is nothing. (laughs) Nice once in a while too. (laughs) Nice once in a while. Um, And so then I think the last thing that I would say to that is out of that, I do believe we as women and mothers can give ourselves permission to simplify our lives and not feel that we have to be beholden to what culture tells us. I do not have to have my child enrolled in 17 activities. Um, And that to me, I have tremendous compassion because I think that also takes a lot of courage at the beginning to be the one mom who child isn't in ballet class 
or that one mom whose child isn't. We were the family. We didn't do media very much at all with Will when he was young. And boy, was that a journey. Mm -hmm. It was our choice. But to be the one mom, the family in a world of like, are you kidding? That's what everyone does. Um, So I'm just saying to give yourself permission to be that first mom, to be true to leading a simpler life and put connection at the top of your value list. And if you put connection with your child or with your inner self as your highest value and just learn how to be true to that value, each day will teach you what it is that you need to do. It could be something as simple as cutting flowers. If connection to yourself is your highest value, you will be guided to what what to do that day, if that makes sense. I love it. It's a mind shift. It's not, um, I love that it's not a to-do list. It's not, I got to find 20 minutes for this activity to know myself better. It's just, it's a mind shift. It also goes along with your idea that you have the power to shrink the darkness in your life, right? So when you do notice those brighter moments or the joy, the flowers, that you're, you're, the darkness starts to shrink and it's, it's a lot like gratitude, right? It's the things that you start to focus on. You want more of that. You see more of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And you know, um, back to your comment earlier about seeding things, we're not doing it for any external reason, but I see now that my son is older, you know, I see him and he'll cut flowers sometimes, or he'll walk in our house and go, oh, mom, those are beautiful flowers. I've never said to him one word about that. Or in our family, as part of my soul connection, you know, often my husband or I, like often my husband, Jamie, he'll text us like, go look at the moon. You know, the moon is so beautiful. Or come on, guys, we have to go out and see the the clouds right now. And it was just something that we did to stay connected to our soul. And, you know, now often I'll get a text from him, you know, oh, go look at the moon, mom, the moon's full. Beautiful. I didn't do it for any, I did it for my own self, my own, it fed me, you know? And to your point earlier about seeding, you just don't know what is going to take root. And it's amazing the things a decade later, a decade later that come back. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Susie, we could talk to you forever. Will you come back and talk to us again? (laughs) I will anytime. And I will have you all on permission to thrive. So we would love that too. We would love it. So we always end with one question and um, it comes from the beautiful book, Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes, which has been really um, such at the heart of this podcast, the idea of a woman finding her essence and rewilding. And she talks about there, there are are four doors. So I'm going to let Kate read this. So we want to know what door you may have taken into your life as a wild woman, your authentic being, your that bright, beautiful essence that's shining through. So here they are. If you have a deep scar, that is a door. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and the water so much, you can almost not bear it. That is a door. And if you yearn for a sane life, a deeper life, that is a door. So which door do you think you walk through? And maybe there's more than one um, in your life that really took you. Can you have all four? Yeah. You can can make up your own door, too. I want it so much to be the one about the bright sky. Like, right. But if I'm being and, and that is part of my doorway. But if it if I'm telling you the honest truth, it is that I have a scar. And that scar, I wouldn't trade that scar for the world now because I think that that scar allows me to just hug every other person on planet Earth with a scar, you know, Um, but to to have learned to love that scar and to have learned that that scar is a portal to my sky, you know, Mm. that 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 scar has been a portal to that third door, the sky and you know, my light. Yes. You are bright light. I, I Isn't cannot, she? I, oh my if goodness. I had to say one thing, it's just bright light. Beautiful. You are. Yeah. You are Thank a you. true gift to this world too. Yes. And we want people to know where they can find you, your coaching institute. I know you have this amazing Mother's Day workshop coming up. So tell people where they can find you, Susie. 
The easiest way is my website is suzylula.com. It's S-U-Z-I-L-U-L-A.com. Has everything, tons of free resources. You can find me on Instagram also, suzy.lula. Um, and I always have free, lots of free resources. Um, I'm a giver, but I do also have this, um, my own podcast that's just launching permission to thrive. And then as you referenced my coaching, um, it's a, it's a beautiful Academy that I, I love the word spiritual psychology. So it's a whole teaching on bringing together the worlds of spiritual psychology or spirituality and psychology. And we're going to put all that in the show notes so you all can find this amazingly bright human out there. Yes. And and right back at you two, I'm totally in love, obsessed, and can't wait for more conversations. Mm. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Susie. Thank you. We have been blown away by how this podcast is resonating with people. So thank you for listening. We have a request of you. First... Would you be willing to follow the podcast on the platform that you choose, rate and review the podcast? And lastly, if you have a favorite episode, please share it with a friend. So mean a lot to us. And we want you to know we're so grateful to all of you, our listeners who are on this rewilding path with us. Today's episode is sponsored by Kate Moreland Coaching and Heartland Yoga. As a coach, I am an advocate for authenticity and well-being for individuals, organizations, and communities. Through my coaching work, I like to help you connect to your authenticity. Whether you're an individual, a leader, or an organization, your creative power lies in your authenticity. Doing the work to understand your strengths and acknowledge the patterns and rocks that are in your way is the path to well-being. Whether it's your career or your relationship with yourself or others, transformative change begins within. You can reach me at katemorelandcoaching.com. Heartland Yoga has been in business for nearly 15 years. I founded this studio with the intention for it to be a safe place where people could come and heal. I also knew that I wanted a business that fostered community and connection. So if you are looking to deepen your yoga practice, heal from physical, emotional, mental, wounds, or simply connect with people who are like-minded, Heartland Yoga is a place that we would love to welcome you into, whether it's online or in person. You can find out more information at www.heartlandyoga.com. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week. Safety.